And we are live back with another episode shifting the narrative on everything autism. I'm Torin Kearns. And as usual, I'm joined by the autism sage herself, Mama Baden. How are you? I am doing good. The sun is shining and we got a little rain yesterday, so that's good. Um, I'm also um, uh, very, very happy because we have a guest today and this is their second time joining us. And so Lauren Melissa is here with us. And would you like to just reintroduce yourself to our listeners? Hi, I'm really glad to be back here. I'm Laura Melissa, but I'm also known as Autinelle on Instagram and other social media networks. So I am an autistic self-advocate and author, and I'm really happy to be here to talk about, um, hopefully, some of my young adult fiction that I've been writing and that has been published over the last couple of years. Um, so I'm really excited to be here and let's get chatting. Yeah. And, you know, I say reintroduce yourself and my clients, my families, I mean, everybody follows you and just loves your information and your post. Um, but they did not know that you were a writer. So I said, I have to get her back on so they can know what else she does. Um, so one of the things, and for those that are listening, um, I have been reading the second book, um, gimmick, Gimmicks and Glamour. And it is a really fun read that has brought me on a journey that has been really exciting and I can't wait to finish it. But I also read uh, your first book. And so one of the things I thought about was how do you see your books being different and how are they similar? It's a Thank you for reading the books. But yeah, I have Boy at the Window. It was my first book that was published in 2020. And then Gimmicks and Glamour came out in 2023. So they are very similar, but also very different. And one thing that brings them into the same realm together is that they both have multiracial protagonists who are queer and neurodivergent. And that's really where I try to land with most of my young adult fiction and fiction in general is that I, I write about queer neurodivergent youth of color. And yes, that is a little bit like who I am, who I was. But when I was young, I didn't have any books that were really readily available for me to read that were mirrors for me. And so I really hope to write those books now for young people today. At the same time, Boy at the Window and Gimmicks and Glamour are very different. Um, they both deal with fairy worlds and magic. Um, Boy at the Window has a huge theme that's, that settles in Neverland. Mm -hmm. And Gimmicks and Glamour, it talks a lot about fairies. And Ashley, the protagonist, has the sight. And she feels as though... She Well, she knows, but does she know that she can see fairies? No one really seems to believe her, but she can see the fairies. And in Boy at the Window, Daniel actually escapes into his imagination by going into Neverland. So these stories differ in their use of magic worlds because while Daniel in Boy at the Window uses the world of fairies and magic to escape from the harsh reality that is his life, Fairy is very much a part of Ashley's reality. 
And it's, it's a reality in which she is deciding whether or not she wants to reject that she sees the world differently or embrace that she sees the world differently. And I want to clarify that, that, that the fairy world and Ashley's sight for me in gimmicks and glamour, it very much mirrors my experiences of having sensory processing differences. And so that was my, my metaphorical hope there, but for Ashley, she just, you know, she just sees sees fairies. <laughs> it's so, um, uh, I don't even know the word, but for you to say that it is, you know, from your experiences um, and your sensory system, when I read your books, my perspective is, oh, this reminds me of why, um, you know, a certain kiddo will, you know, hyper-focus on something so that they can sort of cloak themselves from all the overwhelming sensory input. And then when I uh, read the fairy in terms of no one believing, right? No one believing that you feel pain when that sound goes off or no one believing that it hurts when someone touches you or that material is uncomfortable and that's where and maybe that's because I'm always thinking like looking for sensory everywhere but um ah I love that as a reader I picked up on that from you the writer thank you for I was that's a surprise uh response (laughs) definitely can you imagine if all the sensory processing differences were caused by little fairies making mischief uh, that would have been quite a magical way of experiencing the world. And when I was younger, I was always looking for reasons why I was different. And I think for me, I just hoped that you know, maybe it's because I can see fairies and like I can I can be part of this this magical world. And it turned out to be that I'm autistic and have sensory processing differences, which is pretty cool in and of itself, in my opinion. Um, but I was always looking for that community. And as a young person, I was like, what if my community could be fairies and it just turns out my community is autistic people maybe we're <laughs> maybe maybe so maybe well, so i think the the story of i believe it's the changeling a lot of like old like wives tales are made to explain things that couldn't be explained disorders that they didn't have names for so the idea of the changeling how it takes your kid and it comes back and it's different to explain how a lot of autistic kids, not all, but the stereotypical, they're born, they start developing around nine to 12 months, their development suddenly stops and regresses. That's how they explain it. Because autism still existed in the 1800s. They just didn't have a word or a name for it and know what the hell was going on. So I think there's always been like this connection between the fantastical and neurodivergence. That's an interesting perspective, Mr. Writer. You should put that down on paper. <laughs> <laughs> well, I that's why we have that. that's why I we have more Melissa that. on. She's already yeah. done that for me. <laughs> I'm lazy. She has. Don't say that to her. Don't say you're lazy. Well, I wanted to ask you the inspiration behind your characters, but I feel like part of that was answered from just the the sensory in terms of the um, oh, I don't know the word for it, but just the the feeling that I get when I read the book um, from the environment that the characters are in, but. Well, I always am curious um, from writers, are your characters inspired by people that you know and you merge together or are they sort of just really organically created around what your storyline is? So I think it's interesting you asked me if it's people that I know because I usually get asked if 
my characters are basically just me. <laughs> um, I get that question a lot. And I think with Ashley in particular, being that she is neurodivergent, that she's Black multiracial, and that um, she's queer, a lot of people assume that I am Ashley. But I am not Ashley. Um, of course, there are elements of myself that get embedded because I am writing through her. But my inspiration for Ashley actually came from a single emotion. And that's the emotion of anger. And at first, I wanted to write a character who was right to be angry. I don't actually feel really strong feelings of anger very frequently. And when I do, though, they are very all-encompassing. You know, I have autistic meltdowns every once in a while. But most of the time I found is that when someone is angry, people, they perceive them as needing to cut off the anger, that their anger is the problem. But I wanted to write a character whose anger was well-founded. And I think especially in YA, the angry characters, they, they need to learn to quiet their fire by the end of a story. But for Ashley, I really feel like I understand her anger. While I may not have responded to her situations in the same way, except for when I was having meltdowns frequently, which I did have a lot of meltdowns when I was younger, maybe two to three times a week, I would have meltdowns. But Ashley is kind of more like just constantly in this state of anger. And I, I wanted to really understand that kind of sense and that kind of feeling through Ashley. And I wanted to show that she also doesn't need to change, but it's her environment and her situation that needs to change. And because of this, I wanted Ashley to already be out of the closet as bisexual. I wanted her to already have begun the process of confronting what it's like to be Black and to be multiracial in a society that often doesn't understand biracial identity. So she's already come out. She's already thinking about race. She's very frustrated by the inadequate support she's receiving as a person who's different in society. And she also already understands that her brain is different. And that's because she has the sight and others don't. But this is actually the hardest thing for her to accept about herself. And I think that's why she's the most angry about it. And that's because she doesn't feel a sense of community. She's the only one that she knows who has the sight. And the key is really there that neurodivergent folks like myself, you know, being autistic and having sensory processing differences, we will often blame ourselves for our differences until we find community and realize that we're not broken, that we're different. And Ashley, she really is resisting blaming herself. And she's turning it outward and she's fighting back and she's receiving so much resistance for fighting back, but she has this fiery spirit that just cannot be doused. And so my inspiration for her was anger. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I really like that. And that does bring an idea to my head. Um, so me and my friend, we write in sort of the shared universe. It's more for fun now than actual publishing, at least for the time being. But my friend's had this universe. He's also autistic. And he's had this universe that he's created back when we were in high school. And one of his main antagonists is this really boisterous uh, dude who's very intelligent, but very blunt with how he speaks and things like that. Because he himself felt really stifled by like his family and 
the environment around him and he would have trouble finding his words. So do you think that you created some of your characters? You mentioned you mentioned this the, the site. Do you think did, did help did creating some of your characters help you work through some of your own, I guess, thoughts on autism and help you understand yourself a little bit more? I think that I had a lot of fun being able to explore sensory processing differences in a way that had actually accessing another world that other people realistically would love to be able to access. And so I think I was able to process more and more for myself that having sensory processing differences doesn't make me like worse of a person but I see the world just fundamentally differently in so many ways. And that that comes with some cons, but also so many beautiful pros, like being able to see fairies in the middle of the forest. Um, and I think that writing this helped me to continue to embody this, this self-compassion, but also this sense of pride and being able to see the world in a different way and not think about it as sensory processing disorder, but just sensory processing differences. It's so interesting you say that because I was just sharing with a mom um, that I just met. She's from Ethiopia and her three-year-old daughter was in the background, jumping, jumping, jumping. And the mom says, oh, see, this is the problem that I'm having. And I said, oh, she looks like she's having fun. She must be feeding her sensory system. Of course, no one had told this mom anything about sensory. And um, the mom said, well, that's why I'm here. I need you to help me get her to stop doing that. And I said, oh, I'm actually going to encourage you to have her do that more. And the mom was like, what do you mean? Like, how can I teach her? And I said, oh, my gosh. I can't believe no one told you, but kids can actually learn while they're moving. And she was like, what? And then she said straight out, I just talked to two therapists and I can't believe no one told me that. And I said, well, it's not common knowledge that people really want to share. And I kind of just jokingly said, people know it. They just don't want to conform to it because they feel that they don't have control. So I say that to say the fact that you embrace the sensory, right? And children automatically embrace it until the adults tell them, don't embrace, don't embrace, don't embrace. Not good, not good. And um, my, my hope is that this little girl will embrace as she grows from a younger because her mom is going to um, to work my magic, get her to embrace, because uh, I have to battle the cultural, you know, um, of this is not what children do. Um, in our culture. So I have to sort of work around that as well to help mom not sort of get ostracized because that's what happens. But it was so funny to see her. She was like, what? Like, you can learn while moving? I mean, the concept was just, I don't get it. Like, that can't be possible. Um, so I love that you sort of have, and you can see it in your your videos. I mean, I, I think that um, uh, those who follow you, you you demonstrate the I embrace, but you also share like today was a tough day, right? Like um, things aren't, you know, it's not always a happy moment in life because that's part of the process for everyone. It's not always a happy moment, but in general, just because you're embracing 
the sensory um, you admit to, um, as you said, the cons. Um, but I'm going to get back to the book because I have a couple of more questions before we finish. Is that okay? Oh, yeah, definitely. Okay. All right, Torin. <laughs> I, um, I wanted to know, and this is my own personal uh, need-to-know question to help children that I work with. Um, what advice would you give to neurodivergent authors that feel unnoticed um, or their work is not recognized, whether it's a child that draws and writes about fairies or if it's in a young teen or an adult that has really good work, um, has gotten awards in college, but no one seems to notice that it's something worthy. Um, do you have any advice or suggestion or recommendations? Well, for the young child, I would just really want to encourage anyone around that young child to celebrate anything creative that young children are doing because creativity is such a higher level thinking process. So when a child actively creates something, being sure to give it time and attention because their their brain did a lot of magic when they created that thing. For um, a young adult or maybe an adult too, um, that is uh, an, a writer, an author, and is feeling unnoticed or that their work is not recognized, I guess the first thing that I want to say, my writing did not go noticed and recognized for, for a long time. I started writing when I was in the second grade. <laughs> I wrote my first novel when I was in the fifth or sixth grade. And then I wrote another one in high school and I got into short stories. And and I um, I did not get my long fiction or really any of my fiction very well noticed until I was 30. So it does take some time. And, and I want to just name that being an author in general, even after you're noticed or recognized, is really not easy. Um, this idea of being noticed, of being recognized, of having an audience is, it's kind of a fantasy in a lot of ways. And I think there's this dream that many people who aspire to be authors, or even just current authors that we have that we will get signed that we're going to release a book and then become a full-time author however it's just really not the case for the vast majority of authors um, I still hold a full-time job outside of my writing career and I guess what I'm trying to get around to saying is that there's often this perception that authors who are published are immediately served a huge audience and will get a lot of attention and that's just not the case. Um, so for example, my Instagram posts, they they get phenomenally more recognition than my novels. So it, becoming an author and and wanting and doing that to become noticed and recognized might already be like the place to pause because that's not gonna be a very quick and easy avenue. And being published does not really guarantee that. Um and so my, that's like the sad side, maybe a little sad side of what I'm saying, but I do want to say what matters to me most is that someone somewhere has read these stories and felt seen by my stories. And so my advice would be to start small, 
and to pick a small journal to submit to with a niche audience or post snippets of writing to social media and share your story one chapter at a time to just a few folks. Because in that way, you can build up a small audience. You can build up a resume that will also allow you to submit your work to platforms that have might have slightly larger audiences and grow from there. But going from zero to 100 is just so rare in the writing world. And so being satisfied with those small audiences that can be built, I think it's a huge step to feeling more recognized and feeling more noticed and feeling like your work is reaching others. And, really and, and I think there's different levels of recognition too, and different people have different definitions of what they would consider being recognized. For example, if you want to be published by, so in America, we, to get your books in like Barnes and Nobles and stuff, the easiest way, you can do it other ways, but usually you get published through five big publishers. So it used to be like eight, but they keep buying each other up. So now it's like five and soon probably going to be four, most likely. And they're basically the gatekeepers. And it's very hard to get published with them because they tend to focus on already successful authors because they know they make money. So if your level of success is, I want to get in Barnes and Nobles, for example, that might take a while. And it might take a lot of queries and a lot of rejections because that's basically like winning the lottery because they have a limited... They, they gatekeep. They have a very limited amount of spots and they're very weary of new authors. If you want to be published, there are other options to be published. There are small publishers, there are self-publishing, especially with, with freelance editing and stuff, you can put out a really professional product on your own or with the help of a small publisher. It looks just good stuff in Barnes and Nobles nowadays. So if that's what you're looking for, you have that option too. So it really depends. If you want to just write and put your stuff out there like you mentioned you can put your stuff on like a writing website you can put your stuff on social media you can do all of that so you really have to decide what you really want like what is your goal exactly and then look into what it's going to take to reach that particular goal because our goals might be different than your goals my my new phrase is just google it um when people ask me for things that the just, problem is there's a lot of messed up stuff that shows up on Google. I know. Yeah, I know, I know. Googling how to get a book published is oh actually- Oh, God. Really no, ever Google how that's to get a not, book published, if you, if you appreciate your sanity, that's the problem, too. Like, because we're both in this world of learning, like, how, how to, like, get our books published and getting our stuff out there. There's such a deluge of stuff, and a lot of it's both, and a lot of it doesn't apply to you, and a lot of it's for people. Like, for example, there's going to be people who tell you, write every day, right? Write every single day. And then you find out people saying there are people who have, like, significant others who make deep six figures. They don't actually work for a living. They're not working a full-time. Versus write every day isn't working a full-time job or have other obligations. Yeah, and I think that there is a lot of um, focus, right, on, on getting a publisher and a publishing deal. And... Um, I, I do want to name that I do work with a publisher. I do work with a publisher called Bold Strokes Books and they're an independent publisher. And I'm very grateful to have a publisher to work with. And I know that a lot of people are interested in like, is it like, how do you get a publishing deal? Is it talent? Is it opportunity? Is it luck? 
And I, I do like to say that it's a, it's a mix, but also it's about strategy and about vision, which I feel like you were mentioning and what you were saying, Corin. So in terms of all five of those things, talent, opportunity, luck, strategy, vision, I feel like with talent, you have to be able to write well. It's true. Like in order to get a publishing deal, one does need to be able to, to communicate their thoughts feelings, emotions in some way through writing well. But also, I feel like I had to learn how to take constructive criticism well. Because I have my strings, but I also have areas that I'm continually growing in. And once I once a person receives a publishing deal, there's going to be criticism. There's going to be an editor who's going to maybe tear some things apart. And I've learned to love that part so much and just be really excited and really grateful to my editor. Thank you, Jenny, um, for all of the work that she does with me. Also, there we do need opportunities, right? So submitting to places that are actually accepting submissions is a big <laughs> first step, right? So if it says we are not open to submissions, don't like it doesn't matter how great the story is, don't submit there. But we can bookmark those websites. We can set calendar reminders for when their submissions reopen and submit and, and I can't um, emphasize this enough, and this might sound obvious, but it wasn't obvious to me and for a lot of people. Uh, you, you actually have to have a book. Like, you have to have a book or short stories. you got to have some form of completed writing <laughs> because a lot of writers, including myself when I was younger, worried about how no one cares about my writing, have no attention, and have nothing finished. Like, you'd be, you'd be surprised. Like, I went to school for creative writing, and you hear that stuff all the time. It's like, oh, no one's recognized. Do you have a book done? Well, I have two chapters. Well, then sh shut the fuck up. <laughs> you don't, like, you have to get to, you got to get to first base before you get to second, before you get to third. So I feel like that that's something I also need to mention. You, you got to have stuff. Yeah, that has to do a lot, I think, with strategy. Like, if we're going to be submitting to a publisher or to an agent we want to get an agent it does help especially for a new author to have a fully written manuscript so I did have a fully written manuscript of Void the Window when I decided to strategically go for an independent publisher and I submitted that manuscript when their submissions were open and they were seeking new they were open to new authors and so I submitted without an agent. Now, if someone wants to go major, you, you will probably need an agent. But then once again, what's your vision? What do you really want? Do you want to be in a major publishing company? Or is that just what a person thinks they need to do to feel happy and satisfied as an author? Like, for, like do you really want millions as an audience? Like that's a lot of pressure and a lot of people or would a person feel happier with a niche group of folks mm -hmm. as the audience? Um, and I think some great things to ask, like if you really want a humongous audience, how well do you take criticism? Because the bigger your audience, the bigger the critiques, the, the larger the number of critiques. And also thinking through, are you comfortable with marketing yourself? Are you comfortable with putting yourself out there and saying, buy my book? And so these are things to think through and pursuit of publishing and how someone wants to publish. And then is there luck involved? Yeah. I mean, you have to have the right story at the right time, with the right publisher, but unless you're self-publishing, which is super valid, super awesome. And there's a lot of self-published authors actually who do make a living off of 
being a self-published author because they have put out so much work. So yeah, there's so, so many so the different- The money is oftentimes better in self-publishing because you keep a much larger percent of your royalties. Right, you keep it all of it. <laughs> Pretty much all, but yeah. <laughs> all right. I have just a couple of things that I've been thinking about. Um, I wanted to tell a story, but I don't think I'm going to tell a story. So I wanted tell a to story. Know. You should tell the story. Did it I doesn't matter story? if it relates to what we just said. You got to tell it. Now, see, yeah, you got to tell it because you just said it. So you uh, got to tell it. <laughs> it does relate. So when you were talking about, you know, your book and who has noticed and you started in second grade, um, I have a really good friend that I went to school with and her name is Chandra Lynn Tyler and she used to write poetry in her notebook all the time, right? And so there were the three of us, um, myself, Denise and Chandra, and we would, you know, sit around and fooling around in class and she would show us her poetry and, and I would always say, oh my gosh, because I've always loved writing, right? And I would say, you need to like copyright, you need to publish, you know, or I'm in like seventh grade, you need to publish your poetries. And she, gosh, 30 something years later, her son, she just published her first book of poetry. And the majority of the poems are from when she wrote them in high school. Yeah. And she even surprised us with a little dedication to for Stacy and Denise reading my poems and encouraging me to write again. And so listening to you, it's like, I don't, you know, I don't think we realized we were noticing you know, for her to keep doing it. I mean, she teaches at a university. That's what she does for a living. She teaches writing. Um, and so it's exciting. Um, uh, she just published. Of course, I purchased it and went on social media to um, talk about it. But it's exciting how all that time, you know, and and now other people are noticing it. Uh, so just wanted to share that story. And then my question is, you mentioned that a lot of people say, is your, are your characters you? Is Ashley you? Um, I was thinking, because I was thinking from the other perspective, <laughs> who are the characters? Um, have you ever considered writing like your story? Or, um, and also, are you planning the third book yet? <laughs> oh, wow. Those are two big questions. The first one, the have you ever considered writing my own story, like an autobiography? No, never. Um, and that's because I use writing and I've always used writing since second grade to talk about my special interests. And so I'm not my special interest and I would not be very interested in writing my story. I guess I do that on social media in a lot of ways. I talk about my story, but I wouldn't imagine the amount of hyper-focus that I experience when I write. I think I wrote, I wrote Boy at the Window in one month, the first draft. And I wrote my third book, which is, which is happening. I wrote the first 25,000 words in a week. I could never do that if I was writing my own story. I would get so bored because it wouldn't be about my special interests. I wouldn't be tapping into monotropism and, and all of those things. But I, I perspective. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. I think a lot of people would imagine that I would immediately want to write my story, but no. Well, I since you mentioned that. special interest, would you is since you write in all all your first two books and your third book, they're all young adult, right? Yes. 
like so would you say YA or like YA uh urban fantasy is that sort of your is that like a special interest for you no <laughs> um my special interests well uh, I think the one that's most applicable to gimmicks and glamour one of my special interests is fairies and dark fairy worlds so that doesn't necessarily mean only through YA fiction, but I'm able to talk about it through YA fiction. And um, one of those fairy worlds is Neverland that I'm interested in. And there you go, there's Boy at the Window. And I have another special interest that likes to sneak in through all of my writing, but it's much sneakier how it's connected to everything. So I'm going to keep that a secret for now but Ooh, that's smart you gotta read the books if you want to know what it is <laughs> perhaps or if you want to try to make a guess but I am writing my third book um it's set to come out in July of 2024 and I'm really excited for this story it's called Streamline and it's gonna feature my first openly autistic protagonist so my protagonist will be diagnosed as autistic and know she's autistic and feel um, much more comfortable in that knowledge about herself. So I can give you a little snippet of what it's about. Um, I like reading, I like reading the synopsis for it. So I will do that. Um, but what Streamline is about is 17 year old Diana hasn't left her home in at least a month, but she has the whole online world at her fingertips. Waking up each day at sunset, she logs into the vast world of Garlandia, an online massively multiplayer role-playing game. Offline, she's labeled as autistic and treated like a freak. Online, she's known as Loon, an up-and-coming video game streamer with a small but steady fan base. As Loon, Diana can access adventure, admiration, and a future career as a pro gamer. All she needs is to hit the milestone of 1,000 subscribers on Streamline, and she'll be well on her way. When Loon crosses paths with the legendary girl gamer, Noct, she may have found the key that will boost her to the upper echelon of streamers. But in a matter of days, Noct begins to unravel all Loon thought she knew about gaming, friendship, and love. That is love. a fire synapsis that is that 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 that's sort of stuff that's just great for marketing material which if, if you want to sell books you have to have some sort of marketing so it's like a uh so it's like ready player one without the misogyny and self-flagellation then <laughs> i guess so <laughs> yeah ready player one and the much worse sequel ready player two is about a dude who is heavily coded autistic but isn't officially diagnosed who has a crappy life uh, is kind of socially awkward, and in the game he's he's a he goes in this virtual world like your book, and he, he's a badass. They made a movie about it. Uh, they made a he wrote a sequel, which is kind of problematic. So it's it sounds really interesting, and good luck when it comes out because that that does sound really good. Thank you. But you'll have to come back. I mean, of course, of course. See you in July. <laughs> have to come back. It's exciting. We, we still got to do like a, we, we still got to do like an autistic author panel where we get, because we've had a bunch of autistic authors on, not through like really trying to, just through like coincidence. 
And we got to get like a panel together, like autistic authors about and talk about their process and their books and all of that stuff. That'd be actually really cool. Yeah, maybe in April. That sounds like a really cool thing. Ooh, that's a really good, see, we need to hire you as like our marketing consultant or something because <laughs> she just has good ideas. Like that is yeah. an excellent idea. Yeah, I'll, I'll definitely bookmark that because that is a really good idea. Um, Stacy, do you have any other questions before we start bringing this in? I don't have any other questions. I feel like um, all wait, the other don't wait, wait, wait. Okay, I know. guys, this I know. is this is a I podcast know. first. Yeah. This is I the know. first time Stacy has not had just questions, a whole bevy of questions kicking around in her head. We have I done, I don't know what number of episodes this is, it's going to be in the 60s. We have done, we've been doing this for like a year and a half. And this is the first time, you're, you're, Laura and Melissa, you're, you're here for history. This is, <laughs> this is history. Stacy doesn't have a question. You know, I think it's because I'm, I'm, I'm finishing the book this weekend. And so I feel like I don't want to know any more than I already know. And then I don't like to know the end of things. My best friend always wants to know, like if I read a book before her or watch a movie, she's like, what happened in the end? I'm like, I'm not telling you what happened in the end. She's like, no, I want to know, I want to know. And I never tell her, somebody else probably does, but I don't like to know what happens in the end. So I, I don't need to know anymore. Um, and I think that the information um, that I've sort of pulled out of you in terms of wanting to know um, about your books is going to be really helpful for our listeners to, um, you know, know about you, but also the genre of, you know, I have some teens that I work with, and I think this is right up their alley um, in terms of what they should be reading. So thank you for sharing and always being openly honest um, and that's it, Torin. I feel really happy that I was able to see you both again and chat about writing. And yeah, Gimmicks and Glamour is available anywhere books are sold. So uh, please. And we'll have all the links in the description. We'll, we'll make oh. sure you have all the links, pre-orders, everything like that. So Glitz and Glamour is the name of the book? No. Gimmicks and Glamour. Yes. <laughs> I'm terrible with names. Like I said, the links are going to be in the description with the actual name of the book. So if, if you're relying on me, where it's been established on this podcast, I can't read. So if you're relying on me to translate the name of a book, that's on, like, that is your fault as the listener. That's links are going to be in the description. So I do have a question um, that I want to be on record. Um, I just thought about, I am starting a... I don't know what to call it, but a group of girls that I homeschool want to get with another group of girls and do kind of like, I don't know, hang out together with like supervision and whatever. Um, so, and this has been at the request of the girls and the parents, right? So I'm thinking, you know, I love themes and I'm like, ooh, I wonder if with my 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 older teens, if if they were to read the book and we did sort of a group would you come and talk to the girls after they finish reading it that would be a dream so yes i would love to do that <laughs> just just popped in my head so that's it see i just needed inspiration um, <laughs> to um all right that's well, it thank you for coming on again <laughs> we love having you on i love hearing about your books as as someone who eventually one day wants to be an author i love having like fantasy authors on authors in general definitely fantasy authors it's just it's so inspiring i think it's going to be inspiring to a lot of people and 
I, I just love hearing your pitches. I'm so jealous. They're so good and succinct and just perfect. Oh my God. Okay. Stacy, that's why we're working to shift the narrative on everything autism. See ya.